Well, last week we kicked off this series, Self, by asking the question, what do you do with yourself when you come to the point where you realize yourself isn't enough for yourself? What do you do with yourself when yourself isn't enough for yourself? And that's a big question because that's a place that all of us eventually arrive at some point in life, when we realize that our self is not enough for ourselves, that we can never really be self-confident, self-assured, self-reliant, or self-fulfilled, that those are not the goal, that we cannot actually ever become those things. And while our natural instinct, when we realize that our self is not enough, is, is, is to try harder and to be better and to dig deeper, to prop up ourself and supplement our weaknesses, what we actually learned last week is we looked at the example of Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. Our goal is to empty ourselves. Our goal is not to try harder to build ourselves up, our goal in following Jesus, as Paul said, is to take on the attitude of Christ to empty ourselves. That instead of living for ourselves, we want to live to empty ourselves, to take everything about us, our hope, every hope, dream, desire, plan, identity, security, and everything else about ourselves, and place it into the hands of the God who knows you and loves you more than you could ever imagine. And we concluded last week by learning a prayer that echoes the words of John the Baptist as we encourage you to pray throughout the week. God, let my life be less and less of me and more and more of you. God, let my life be less and less of me and more and more of you. It's a powerful prayer and a powerful concept as we learn to empty our self. Now, with all of that said, there is a tension that we're going to feel today and next week as we move into the new content. And here's the, here's the tension. You are called to live a life where you empty yourself, but no matter how much you empty yourself, you will still live in this world as yourself. You're called by God and you're called by Paul, you're called by God to follow Jesus in emptying ourselves, but you will still live and interact in this world as yourself. You will live in this world, develop relationships, build a career and go to school and date and marry and parent as yourself. And so today and next week, what I want to do is talk about how yourself lives and how yourself interacts with others. And specifically, I want to talk about two characteristics that I believe we should all embrace to help us as we attempt to live lives that honor God, as we live lives with other people, attempting to empty ourselves into the hands of of God. And the first thing that I want to talk about today, the first characteristic, the first thing that I think we should all embrace is this. It's called self-awareness. Now, let me ask you this question. Anybody out there struggle with being self-aware? Matter of fact, would you just like this video or maybe give the angry face emoji if, you, if, if, if that's you? If you struggle with self-awareness, Awareness, And here's the funny, interesting thing about asking that question. People who strive for self-awareness will answer, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that because they're trying to be self-aware, because they're aware of their own self-awareness. And people who generally struggle with self-awareness are like, nah, I don't think I struggle with that at all because they're not struggling with it at all. So here's a fun game. If you answered that you don't struggle with self-awareness, you need this message more than you can possibly know. And if you answer that you do struggle with self-awareness, congratulations, you are already gonna lean in today, so good for you. So here's the thing, in our world, there are two problems that make self-awareness 
really difficult. That, that makes self-awareness difficult. The first is what I would call self-affirmation culture. And the second is, is simply pride or our lack of humility. It's our, our self-affirmation culture and it's our pride or lack of humility. Let me talk about the first one first, the self-affirmation versus self-awareness. Self-affirmation versus self-awareness. See, whether we want to or not, we live in a world of self-help. Could you say self-help? I mean, yeah, instead of self-awareness, we live in a world of self-help. Sometimes self-help books can be helpful. Sometimes they can be downright problematic. And sometimes they can be a lot of things in between. But within the self-help world, there's a lot of talk about this word affirmations. Affirmations. Would you say it out loud wherever you are? Affirmations. This goes back into in, in modern culture all the way to Zig Ziglar and his number one challenge in his approach to change your life. His number one challenge as we try to change our lives is to look at yourself every day in the mirror at morning and at night when you get ready in the morning and when you right, and before you go to bed and speak a set of affirmations about yourself. Things like I am a positive person. I am a healthy person. I am confident. I am strong. I am fearless in the face of like all, all of these kinds of things. And 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 it's a wonderful thing. And a lot of people have found it to be something that 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 can can become very transformational in their lives. But the problem with that, the problem with those, is that for something to truly be an affirmation, it has to be true. The problem is that for something to be an affirmation, to affirm something, it has to be affirming something that is true in reality. And so what happens is we say, well, I am strong. Well, you might not be strong. You might not be strong. I am punctual. Really? You live in New Mexico. Chances are you're not very punctual. I am a good listener. Are you? Like, some of you, you're watching church online, and, I, and if you said, I am a good listener, you're not watching, like you, you have church online open, and you have something else on the TV, and you have something else on your tablet, and the kids, like, you may not be that good of a listener. You, like, you didn't even hear me say that I'm a good listener. I, like, I am honest and sincere person. Some of us, you lied to yourself in calling yourself honest with an affirmation. I am health conscious. Well, what you ate last night for dinner would beg to differ. Now, here's the thing, like, I get the point of the affirmations is to hopefully speak things into existence and create the idea that it's possible for us to become those things. But here's the thing, in a weird twist to all of that, we have gotten turned around and now we have social media and influencers and Hobby Lobby sign designers telling you, you're enough, you're strong, you're brave, you are confident, you are enough. You are beautiful and you are confident and you might not actually be any of those things. And so you go and you buy the Hobby Lobby signs and you follow the social media accounts and you follow the influencers telling you things that are true about yourself that are not true about yourself. And they're affirming things and they're affirming things and they're affirming things that actually are not true about yourself. And so one of the dangers and one of the difficult things about, about, about embracing self-awareness is that sometimes we have to tune down a lot of what's being affirmed in us that is not actually true of us. That we want to affirm things and say, oh, this is what's true about me when it's not actually true 
about you. It's true about who you want to be. It's true about what you want to become, but it's not true about who you are right now. And if it's not true about what you are and who you are right now, it is not self-aware. It's affirming something about yourself that is not true. Now, the second thing that makes it difficult for us to be self-aware is simply our pride or our lack of humility. It's our pride or our lack of humility. See, sometimes, let's just be really honest, we don't want to know our failings and shortcomings because we'd rather think and believe that we're perfect than truly acknowledge our shortcomings. We want to focus on all the good. We want to focus on what we're doing right. We want to focus on the relationships that are going well, on the friendships that are going well, the accounts at work that are going well, the things that are working with our children. We want to focus on all of that stuff and not acknowledge that there are shortcomings with our children, that there are shortcomings in our business, that there are shortcomings in our career, that there are shortcomings in our spiritual life. We want to focus on the things that are going well because let's be honest, that feeds our pride, that feeds our ego, that makes us feel good about what is going on. And here's why we lean in that direction so often. We think if we can fool ourselves long enough, we'll eventually be able to fool everyone else as well. But here's the thing, you know your fooling yourself. You know you're not looking at the whole picture. This is why Jeremiah recorded this incredibly powerful truth in his book called that's in our, in our Bible called Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 17, 9, he wrote this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Let me read that again. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, here's what Jeremiah understood back, you know, 500 years, 600 years before Jesus would even walk the earth. There is something in ourselves that wants to deceive ourselves about ourself that we do not want to acknowledge some things that are true about ourselves. And in doing so, as we refuse to acknowledge some things that are true about ourselves, as we interact with the world, as, as we lie to ourselves about ourselves, we end up placing ourselves in a position because we have lied to ourselves about ourselves where we experience hurt and danger because of the lies that we have told ourselves about ourself and ourself as we interact with the world. See, here's the thing. There are two truths that we have to embrace when it comes to self-awareness. And truth number one is simply this, is that what is true about ourself is true about us, whether we know it or not, or whether we acknowledge it or not. What is true about you is true about you, whether you like it or not. Whether you know it or not, it's true about you. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it is what's true about you. If you are insecure, that's what's true no matter how many times you tell yourself that you're confident. If you're a complainer, that's what is true of you no matter how many times you tell yourself that you're a positive thinker. If you, let's put this in spiritual terms. If you are impatient with God, that's what you are currently no matter how many times you tell other people that you're just being patient. Like this is what's true. That what's true about us right now is what's true whether you acknowledge it or not, and it's what's true whether you know it or not. And then here's the second truth. What is true about ourself can hurt ourself whether we know it or not, and whether we acknowledge it or not. See, here's the thing. Poor communication impacts your relationships regardless of what you think about your communication skills. 
Regardless of what you think, like, you're like, no, I, I think I'm a good communicator. Well, if you're a bad communicator thinking you're a good communicator, you will have a difficult time and it will affect you and it could hurt yourself while you don't know that you're not a good communicator or while you don't acknowledge that you're a good communicator. If you, if you tend to be really negative with your words towards other people, but like you, you, you just don't necessarily know that, you don't necessarily think that, but it's damaging and it's impacting your relationships with other people. If you think that you're a really strong worker, but you actually have a reputation for being lazy. The people who work with you think that you're kind of lazy, think that you actually like to slack off, think that you're not carrying your weight. That hurts you whether you acknowledge it or not or whether you recognize it or not or whether you know it or not. These are things that what is true about us, what is actually true about us can hurt ourselves whether we know it or not or whether we acknowledge it or not. And so here's the thing, for all of those reasons, it is important for us to embrace self-awareness. It's important for us to embrace self-awareness because it's true about you whether you acknowledge it or not. And it can impact you and it can hurt you whether you know it or not or whether you acknowledge it or not. And for those reasons, because it's true about us, because it affects us, because it impacts us, because it impacts our relationship with the world around us, as we try to influence the world for Jesus, we should pay attention to what is true about us and what is impacting us. See, you should care about the honesty of the life that you live, whether or not you're acknowledging reality or trying to affirm something that you wish was true but isn't true. You should care about your self-awareness because it's possible you have some blind spots that are affecting you that you currently don't see. But in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he actually gave us a command to embrace self-awareness and then gave us maybe the most important reason to embrace it. Here's what Paul wrote, and I'm going to read the end of the passage first, and then we're going to get to how what led up to it. But here's the end of the passage that we're going to read today. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul wrote this. He said, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. I mean, to our world, I, get, I can't imagine how this applied back then, but I know how this applies today. To an affirmation-based world, to a pride-filled world, to a, to a lack of humility world, do not think you are better than you really are. And then he says this, be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Let me read that whole thing one more time. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. You wanna know what Paul is ultimately telling us here? He says, you need to be honest about yourself with yourself. Be honest about yourself with yourself. Matter of fact, could we just say that all together on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Be honest about yourself with yourself. Paul says to this world that lacks humility, he, Paul says to the world that's full of pride, Paul says to the world that would rather overlook our own faults and point our fingers at everybody else's faults, Paul says to the world that, that would rather point the blame and say they're the problem, 
I'm not the problem. I don't have an issue. I don't have a, a thing that I need to deal with. To the world that would rather overlook all of that stuff, to the world that would rather claim things that are not true about ourselves that as, as true about ourselves when they are not true about ourselves, Paul says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest about your evaluation of yourselves. And in that phrase, Paul gives us something that we should actually all do. Evaluate your self. Now you're like, I don't want to do that. That's why I've never done that. So Chris, I don't think I'm about to start doing that. He says to evaluate yourself, be honest. You're like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to evaluate myself, let alone be honest in it. Like to be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, that you should evaluate yourself, that I should evaluate myself. Some of us, let's be honest, you have a really difficult time when anyone is the slightest bit critical of you. And it's possible, the reason it's so difficult to hear anyone be critical of you is that you have never been critical in your evaluation of yourself. What are my strengths? Like, what am I actually good at? What, not just what I want to be good at, but what am I actually good at? What are my weaknesses? Not the office version of what I turn my weaknesses into strengths, but what are my what are my actual faults? What are things that I have to that I, that are that are actually causing difficulty in my life because I'm weak in those areas? What problems do I have that others have caused? Because you have problems that other people have caused. What are the problems that I have that I have caused? Because while you have problems in your life that other people have caused, you have problems in your life that you have caused. And as long as you're pointing the finger that someone else caused the problem, you will not solve the problem. And here's the final one. What problems do I have that someone else caused that I'm responsible to solve? You have some problems in your life where someone else caused it, someone else sparked it, someone else started a ball rolling in your direction. And here's the thing, even though they started it, you are responsible to solve the problem. It's your responsibility. See, here's the thing. As we do this, you're like, I, I, you know, I, I don't really want to do any of that. I understand why you don't want to do any of that. But here's the, you're like, I don't want to be critical of myself. But here's the thing. When I say critical, you hear negative. And that's not what Paul was actually telling us to do. And that's not what I'm telling you to do. It's important that we do this correctly because there's a difference between a critical mind and a critical spirit. And if you go at yourself with a critical spirit, you will find yourself beaten up. You will find yourself finding more and more and more and more problems and no answers. But if you go to yourself and evaluate yourself with a critical mind, you take an incredible, incredible step in a positive direction. See, here's the difference between a critical mind and a critical spirit. A critical mind says, there is a problem. I need to identify where it started because I want to solve problems and I want to move forward. There is an issue that needs to be resolved. There is an issue that needs to be identified and I need to work on. I am here to solve problems. I'm here to solve problems. A critical mind is, has to identify a problem but is focused on a solution. A critical spirit wants to find problems and point them out with no solution. A critical spirit, some of you have been around these people, they like to throw grenades into the room and say, well, there's a problem, throw the grenade and bounce. They just wanna, they just wanna point out the problems. This is not what we are called to. This is not what Paul is asking us to do as we evaluate ourselves. He says, I want you to identify the problems so that you can identify the solutions. I want you to be focused on the solution while you identify the problem, while you identify where it started so that you can actually find a way 
forward. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Now, here's why I think this command from Paul is so important. It's incredibly important because of where it happens. See, we just read Romans 12, 3. Some of you, you are very familiar with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of us, we are familiar with that, verses 1 and 2, but we really press into that because what we're about to read and remind ourselves of is an incredibly challenging, incredibly important, incredibly life-changing passage. But few people really like and dive into verse 3 because it tells us to be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. It tells us to not think that we are better than we really are. And so we don't dive into verse 3, but here's the thing. Verse 1, 2, and 3 are all connected. For Paul, they're connected and you can't really do one without the other. You can't do one and two without three. Here's the thing. Here's what Paul said. Let me just put this all together. Verse 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you. Paul's like, I'm on my hands and and knees begging you. I'm pleading with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Here's what Paul's telling every single one of us to do. You climb up on the altar of, with, with your life and you don't get up until God has had his way with your life. You allow God to shape you and to make you new. You allow God to fix what is broken in you and broken in your way of thinking. You allow God to heal what life has broken. You climb up on the altar and you stay on the altar as a sacrifice before God, letting God do in your life what God wants to do in your life. Letting God change what God wants to change. Letting God renew what God wants to renew. Letting God restore what God wants to restore. Letting God transform what God wants to transform. And then he says this, as you're doing this, here's what you're going to do. How how you stay on that altar is simply this. You don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Do you know what the behavior and customs of the world are? It's hide your faults. Don't acknowledge your weaknesses. Pretend everything is okay when it's not. Pretend your life would be perfect if it wasn't for all those other people and their problems. Pretend that everything that happens that in your relationship with God that you don't like is somehow someone else's fault. Pretend all of that kind of stuff. The behavior and the customs of this world is pretend, 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 affirm, affirm, affirm things that are not true about you. And Paul says, don't copy that. Don't copy that. The world is broken because of that behavior. And if you follow that, and if you copy that, and if you replicate that, your world will be broken too. That pattern has never gotten you anywhere good or healthy. So stop following that pattern. Do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. And then he says this, but, so don't copy, but Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, this is what we all want, right? For God to change our lives. I mean, let's just be honest, for some of us, this is why we came to God in the first place. You weren't so worried about heaven and hell and eternity. You had made a mess of life and you needed someone outside of yourself to turn your life around. And so you turned to God because you thought God would have some answers and you felt incredibly close to God as God began to turn your life 
around. Some of you, you have never felt closer to God than the moments where life was a mess and God turned your life around. You leaned into God and God changed things and God transformed things in you. Some of you, the closest that you've ever been to God is when you needed direction and to understand God's will for your life. And he pointed the way and he showed you the direction and he revealed his will for your life about that specific moment and that specific question. But here's the thing, regardless of your experience and how you arrived there, here's the bigger picture. Transformation is part of following Jesus. Transformation should be a part of following Jesus. Making your life new is what Jesus does. He transforms us. He turns us around. He changes our attitude. He changes our hearts. He changes our minds. He changes our outlook. He changes our perspective. He changes our, he makes us more resilient. He makes us stronger. He makes us better at handling the things of life. The way I would say it is simply this, that as you follow Jesus, God offers you eternal life and he makes you better at this life. And that's a heck of a promise that as you follow Jesus, God offers you eternal life. He promises a better life to come, but he also makes you better at this life. He makes you stronger. He makes you more resilient. He makes you better able, better able and better equipped to handle the emotions, emotional ups and downs of life. He makes, it more, makes you more able to handle the difficult moments of life. He gives you strength that you don't have. He renews your mind to, so that you think about this world in a better way. He renews your heart so that your heart is healed from the things that have happened in the past. He makes you better at life. That should happen for all of us along the way as we walk with Jesus. I'll say it really bluntly. If you're not getting better at life, you actually may not be following Jesus all that well. Like if there's not change and transformation happening, it may be that you have prayed a prayer and that you secured your eternity, but you're not following Jesus all that well in the here and now because following Jesus, it takes care of your eternal life, but it also should make you better at this life. So you may not be following Jesus all that well, or it's possible that you're following Jesus, but you're not getting better at life because you're not practicing what comes after verse two. And what comes after verse two is verse three, because we're good at counting here. Paul said this, and we've already read this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Let me read verses two and three together. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you into a new person. Here's how it happens. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. What's the bottom line today is simply this. This is maybe the best reason that all of us should embrace and choose self-awareness. Life change isn't really possible if you won't be honest about yourself with yourself. Life change isn't really possible if you won't be honest about yourself with yourself. See, Paul uses extraordinarily serious and extremely rare language here. He says, I give you this warning. I give you this warning. Paul used this word warning only one other time in his letters, and it had to do then with false teachers. Paul's warning here is this. Expecting life change without honesty about yourself is as dangerous 
as listening to false teachers who falsely proclaim, the, who proclaim a false gospel and teach you things that are not true about Jesus. And here's why. Eventually, your lack of change will cause you to blame God for not changing you like you expected him to do. And you may even walk away from God. And Paul says, it's only when you can be honest with yourself that what God will bring about the change in you that God wants for you and that you want for you, that you want for you. So Paul says, and I want to challenge us today, would you be honest about yourself with yourself? Because the change that you want from God, the change that you want God to bring about your life, the transformation, the renewing of your heart, the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your vision to see the world the way God wants you to see the world, the strength that God wants to place inside of you, the resilience God wants to place inside of you, the better relation, the better at relationships that God wants to build in you, the better at work and career that God wants to bring in you. It doesn't happen until you get honest about yourself with yourself and until you get honest with God about yourself. But once you get honest with God about yourself, the amazing thing is this. God brings about everything he promised in verse two. He does transform you through the renewing of your mind. He does transform you through the renewing of your mind. He makes you a new person. He makes you a new person with a new work ethic, with a new, with a new relationship standards, with, new, with, a, with a new strength, with a new resiliency, with a new ability to live and work and breathe in the world that God has created you to live in as yourself. So would you be honest about yourself with yourself? Now, here's the thing. Today, as we, as we talk about this, as we talk about this, like, well, where does this all land? How do we, how do we actually become honest about ourselves with ourselves? I, I, I came up with a really great question today, and, and I want to leave you this question and give you a couple opportunities, a couple things that might just be the answers to this yourself. But here's the thing. You need to figure out the answer to this question that I'm about to ask, and you're going to have to wrestle this question to the ground. And it's a question that some of us, we would, we've said before, and we have pointed the finger of blame, and we've used this question to, to, to push people away and to, and to make excuses for ourselves of why we haven't experienced what we wanted to experience. But here's the thing. This is a question that if you'll wrestle this question to the ground with honesty, this is a question that will bring incredible awareness about yourself to your mind and to your heart so that you can bring yourself honestly to your heavenly father to let him make you new. So here's the question that, that we're all gonna begin to wrestle with today. And this is gonna make you better if you'll stick with it as painful as it is. You know what the real problem is? Now you're gonna need to say it with some real gusto like that, okay? You know what the real problem is? And then you wrestle to the ground whatever comes out. Whatever the honest answer to that question is, whatever the final answer to that question is, you wrestle that question to the ground. I'm just going to tell you what some of us, what the real problem is. You know what, that, what the real problem is? I'm too sarcastic with my words. Yeah, the, 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 real, the real reason that I sometimes have a difficult time with relationships and a difficult time making friends is that I tend to keep people at arm's length by being sarcastic about everything. And I accidentally end up hurting people. And, it's, and, and the real problem is not that they're too sensitive. It's that I'm too sarcastic. Well, you know what the real problem is? I, I don't respect other people's time. I, 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 I just... You know, I'm, I'm always kind of on my own schedule 
and I don't show up for work on time. I'm always kind of rolling in a little bit late. And I'm always a little bit late with the kids dropping off for school. I'm always a little bit late for the pickup. I'm always a little bit late. I, I assume everyone wants me to show up fashionably late, but at the end of the day, I know it causes friction with some people when I don't show up on time. You know what the real problem is? I never forgave blank, and that anger became a part of me. You know what my real problem is? I never really healed. I just kept going. And I mean, like for some of you, you have been walking with a metaphoric limp through life because you told yourself to just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. It'll hurt as the second you stop moving. But that limp hasn't gone away and it won't go away until you stop and allow yourself the time to heal, the time to cry, the time to yell, the time to process, the time to do whatever it takes to let God heal you. You know what my real problem is? I don't think I have any worth outside of a relationship. For some, for some of us, we date and we date and we move from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And, and, and the reason we end up in relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship with people that we have no business being in relationship with in the first place, it's because we don't think we actually have any worth if we aren't in a relationship. And so we, and so we chase person after person after person because we think people give us worth. And I just have some really good news for you if that's what you think about yourself. You have um, unbelievable worth to God. God thinks you are worth so much that he sent his son to die for you so he could have a relationship with you. Your worth is not defined by a relationship with a person. Your worth is defined by your relationship with God. And he says, you are so valuable. I'll send my son to die for you so I can be in a relationship with you. Let's talk about our spirituality and our relationship with God. You know what my real problem is? Why I don't feel close to God? Well, I don't read the Bible. You know what my real problem is? Why I make bad decisions and I, don't, and I struggle to find direction in life? Because I don't read the Bible. And I'm acting like God isn't giving me answers. And I'm acting like God is unwilling to point in the right direction. But I don't read my Bible. And that's probably where I need to start. You know what my real problem in my relationship with God is? Why I don't feel close to God? I don't make prayer a priority. Yeah. You know what my problem is in my relationship with God? I ask a lot of questions to sound sincere, but my questions are actually meant to keep God and people at arm's length. I just want to look sincere. I just want to look like I'm taking it seriously, but I'm not actually taking like, I'm just I'm trying to come up with questions to keep the whole God thing from actually getting too personal for me. You know what my real problem is? I choose a lot of lesser things over church and over small group. I mean, I, 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 like, I, like I want to say that the, my relationship with God matters most, but every time there's an option for something else, I choose something else. And that's probably my biggest problem and probably the thing that keeps me from connecting with God the way I wish I could connect with God. See, here's the thing. Life change doesn't really happen and isn't really possible until you're honest with yourself about yourself. But the moment that you get honest about yourself with yourself and you get honest about yourself with God, God brings the new and God transforms you. 
And that's possible because we have a good and a loving Heavenly Father who thinks you have incredible worth and incredible value and who cares about you so much and loves you so much that while He knows everything about you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the really ugly, the stuff that you don't think anyone else knows about you, He knows all of it. And He loves you so much that He came to, and sent His Son to die for you and to die for all the ugly so that He could have an opportunity to make all the ugly beautiful. This is why the scripture says he gives beauty for ashes. He gives beauty for ashes. He is the God of renewal. He is the God of restoration. He is the God who takes the broken and makes it beautiful. And he wants to do that in you. And he wants to do that for you. And he wants to do that for yourself. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and for your love for us. Thank you that we can know you because of what you did through Jesus on the cross and what you did through Jesus when he rose from the dead. Thank you that we can know you because of you. And God, today I simply pray and I simply ask, as I say it simply, it's not simple. God, for some of us, I pray that we would be honest about ourselves with ourselves, that we would listen to Paul's words and we would be honest about ourselves with ourselves. God, that if that's the way that change happens, if that's the way that transformation happens, if that's the way that you make us new, if that's the way that you bring healing and that you bring wholeness, God, we want it. So God, help us to choose self-awareness. Help us to be aware of ourselves. Help us to be honest about ourselves. Help us to stop pretending. Help us to stop pretending things are true about ourselves that are not true about ourselves. Help us to stop casting the blame in a million different directions as if everything, every problem in our life is someone else's problem and someone else's fault. But God, help us to take ownership and responsibility for ourselves. Help us to be honest about ourselves with, our, with ourselves. And God, as we do that, would you bring about the change and the transformation that only you can bring as we get honest about ourselves with ourselves. We love you. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Give us wisdom to, to recognize in ourselves the things that we don't want to recognize in ourselves. And God, give us the courage to actually trust you and to trust you to change us and to make us new. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.